in the scriptures and look at God's word, that every one of us will be blessed today as a result of being here. Uh, before we get started, I would like to just take a moment to pray. Let's pray. Father, we are thrilled today as we come into your holy presence. We recognize as we have just sung that the Lord Almighty is here. He is with us. And as we open your word today, I pray, Father, that you would hush our hearts in your holy presence and draw us to the Savior, that by faith each one of us would look upon him. And if there's any here today that have not placed their personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that today they would come to know him. I thank you for your word and for the promise of your presence and pray that your Holy Spirit would guide us and bless us as we consider your word together today. We ask in the name of the Lord Jesus, amen. So today I'm actually going to begin a new series. And I've called this series The Gospel of Our Lord Jesus Christ. Really what I'd like to do is I would like to do an in-depth study of the person of Jesus Christ. I'd really like to look at his life, his teaching, and his power to save. Over the next number of months, we're going to do a literally a walk through the Gospels. And as we walk through the Gospels, um, I really want to be able to literally follow his steps, where Jesus went, what he did, what he taught, and who he is and why he came. And really, what I'd like to look at, and my goal in this whole entire series, is one thing. My desire is that you would believe in him. Now, you might be sitting here today and you might say, I already believe in him. That's God. That's, that's great. Praise God. But there are some people that maybe believe a little bit in him. Or there's some people that believe about him, but they really don't know him personally. And as we do this study, my desire is that everyone here would have a deeper, truer faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 17, this is life eternal, to know God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So my desire is that you would believe with all your heart in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, because that's life eternal. We're going to look at the eternal, infinite God who became truly human. You know, it's wonderful to, to go through the scriptures and consider him. He's more than a prophet. He's more than just a good man. He's more than just a great, mighty teacher. He is the Lord God Almighty who actually became a man and walked on this earth. And so today, we're going to look at the starting point, which really isn't the starting point, it's Bethlehem that we're going to look at today. 
So before we look at Bethlehem, um, I want to talk a little bit about what happened at Bethlehem. You know, there's many paradoxes in the Bible. There really is. So here's a paradox that I'd like to share with you today. That at Bethlehem, what was impossible actually became possible. You know that Mary said that in, in Luke chapter 1. We're going to look at it. Mary said that what was impossible with all of us, with men, is possible with God. And at Bethlehem, the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the impossible actually became possible. We're going to look at that. So before we look at Bethlehem, uh, John wrote these great words in 1 John 4 and verse 14. He said, we have seen, this was an, an eyewitness, one of the closest disciples of the Lord Jesus that walked with him on his whole earthly ministry. He wrote these words in 1 John 4 and 14. And he wanted the world to know. And he wants you to know today. We have seen and testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. I love that verse in Luke 2 and 11. The angel said when they were celebrating the announcement of, of the baby Jesus, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born unto you, and he is Christ the Lord. So at Bethlehem, we're going to look at the impossible becoming possible. Jesus Christ, he is the eternal one, the infinite God who had no beginning, and he became a perfect man. Do you know what the word incarnation means? It means taking upon oneself flesh. So it comes from the Latin word to make flesh. What's amazing about this story is that the almighty, infinite, eternal God actually was made flesh. So before we, we talk about Bethlehem, we have to talk about what happened before Bethlehem. Because Bethlehem is not the start. That's not the beginning of the story. In fact, here's another paradox. There is no beginning of the story. Because Jesus Christ never had a beginning. He is eternal. And I'm going to show you eight verses from the Bible that really support that fact that Jesus Christ existed before he was born as a baby in Bethlehem. If you go to 1 John chapter 1 and verse 1, you're going to read these words. This is what John wrote. He said, that which was from the beginning. And we could probably call that the, the eternal past that didn't really even have a beginning. That which was from the beginning, we have heard. And we have seen with our eyes. And we have looked upon, our hands have handled the word of life. What is John trying to say in that verse? He's trying to explain the infinite. He's trying to describe God, who is eternal, actually came into this world, and, and John touched him. 
He saw him with his own eyes. He walked with him. He is the eternal, infinite God that truly became a human being. If you go to John's Gospel, chapter 1 and verse 1, you're going to read this. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. This is a name of Jesus Christ. He's called the Word. Logos. Why is Jesus Christ called the Word? Because everything that you see outside those doors and through the entire creation of the world was spoken into existence by his word. His very word made things become life. He spoke the worlds into existence, the Bible says. And the word, the infinite God, became flesh. That's what incarnation is. The infinite God became flesh and dwelt among us. He made this world his home. Think about that. The infinite God who, who never had a beginning came into the world and became a man. For 33 years, walked on this planet. Do you know that that word that says he dwelt among us, it really is a temporary dwelling. It, it means he pitched his tent. How long do you live in a tent? Well, it's the thinking that Jesus came into this world and literally pitched his tent and walked amongst humanity. John 1 and 18 says, no one has ever seen God. Here's another paradox. Because the one who has seen Jesus has seen God. But the Bible says, no one has ever seen God. The one and only Son, and one version says, who himself is God. The one and only Son, who himself is God, and in close relationship with the Father, he came to make him known. Okay, so no one has ever seen God, but Jesus Christ is God, and he became a man to show us who God is. That's why he came. In John 16, Jesus is about to go to the cross, and he's celebrating his last supper with his own disciples, and they're really confused because they think he's going to set up his kingdom and reign. And he says, I'm going to die. And they are like, what? We don't get this. So Jesus explains that in, verse six, in John 16 and verse 28. And he says, I came forth from the Father and am come into the world. This is proof that he existed before he came into the world. He says, I came from the Father, and I am come into the world. And now, I leave the world, and I go to the Father. So when they walk out of that upper room, and they're, they're walking past the pool of Siloam, and down into the Kidron Valley, and they're walking to the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus lifts his eyes up into heaven. And he prays, and he says, Father, the hour has come. 
Imagine his disciples are listening as he's walking to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he says, Father, glorify your son with the glory that I had with you before the world was. If you are only a human being, that sentence doesn't make sense. There's no possibility. But Jesus is saying, before this whole world was even created, I had glory with you before the world began. So in John chapter 8, he's in a, a dialogue with the Pharisees. And the Pharisees are so confused. Jesus is saying, you need to believe on me. And, and they say, well, we're of our father Abraham. Are you greater than our father Abraham? And Abraham is dead. You're not even 50 years old. And Jesus says in John 8 and 58, he says, before Abraham was, I am. What a statement of deity. Before Abraham was, I am. I am is the infinite, eternal one. The, the one who is the source of all life. It is a statement of Jehovah of the Old Testament. And Jesus is saying, I am the one that existed before Abraham. And then he says, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. The, the, the Pharisees are so confused. They finally say, let's take up stones to kill him. He's out of his mind because they could not understand who he is. Before Abraham was, I am. When you come to the very last book in our Bible, John is an old man. He's on the Isle of Patmos, and he's, he gets this revelation from God, and he sees a vision. And Jesus, after he had died, was buried and rose again. He comes and he stands before John. And he says in John 1 and 8, he says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, the first and last letter of the Greek alphabet. He says, I am there in the very, very beginning, and I will be there in the very, very end. And John is, is completely dumbfounded as he looks upon the Lord Jesus, and he says, I am the Lord who is and who was and who is to come the Almighty. Why do I say all that? Because I want you to believe that Jesus Christ is God. Folks, that is the starting place. If Jesus Christ was just a man, Christianity has no founding. If Jesus Christ was just a man, he never would have rose from the dead. If Jesus Christ was just a man, he never could have put away sin. If Jesus Christ was just a man, there is no future. But Jesus Christ is God, who became a man to put away our sin. And so, while my story starts at Bethlehem, his story didn't. Bethlehem. Um, how many people have been to Bethlehem? All right, there's a few people that have been to Bethlehem. Bethlehem is a beautiful, absolutely beautiful little town. This is what it looks like today. Bethlehem is called the town of David. And I think most of you would know that the reason Bethlehem is called the town of David is because that's where David 
came from. That's where he was born and raised. So Bethlehem has some major history. And, you know, it's not coincidental that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. There's some awesome, beautiful foreshadowing in, in the town of Bethlehem that I'm going to just tell you briefly about. So we first come across Bethlehem in the book of Genesis, right at the beginning of your Bible. Do you remember the first story that you think about Bethlehem? It's about Rachel. Rachel died in Bethlehem. And Rachel is in child labor, and she's giving birth to Benjamin. And Benjamin um, is, is born, but Rachel dies. And, and Rachel says, I'm going to name this baby son of my sorrow because she died. Jacob says, no, we're not naming him that, son of my right hand. So what is that all about? So Benjamin pictures for us suffering and glory. A king will reign. And so Benjamin is a picture of Jesus Christ that is associated with Bethlehem. It's sorrow and it is glory that's associated with the sorrow. And that's why Jesus came. He stooped down into this world. He took upon himself the sorrow of humanity. But he's got a bright future. He's going to reign forever. Benjamin. Bethlehem is also associated with Boaz. This is the fields of Boaz. When you look at the book of Ruth, it actually took place right here in Bethlehem, Judah. And, and Boaz is a, is a picture of the kinsman redeemer. You remember the story of Ruth? Hopefully you guys have read the book of Ruth. It's kinsman redeemer. What is that about? So Ruth, this Moabitess, who's worshiping idols, she marries this, uh, this Jew, and he dies. But she loves her mother-in-law, and she goes with her mother-in-law to Bethlehem. What's Bethlehem called? It's the house of bread. There's a famine in the land, and they say, God's visited his people. We're going back to Bethlehem. Boaz, kinsman redeemer. You know, one day Boaz said this. He was a rich man, and he had fields of plenty, and everybody came to enjoy all the blessings of the field of Boaz. One day, Boaz looked upon this Moabitess woman, and he said, Ruth, have I purchased all that is Elimelech's? I'm going to buy it. I'm going to redeem it. Folks, that's why Jesus Christ came to Bethlehem, to buy back what was lost in sin. You know that the scripture says? Then I restored that which I took not away. He came from heaven to be born in Bethlehem to be our kinsman redeemer. He became man to connect with us, that he might die upon a cross and redeem us, pay the purchase price to bring us back to God. Bethlehem is associated with Benjamin. It's associated with Boaz, but it's associated with David. Right here, as you look at these fields, you can see them today. You can walk through what's called the fields of Boaz. And you can see David as a shepherd boy. He kept sheep right here in these fields. And likely, he wrote some of the beautiful psalms right here in these fields as he kept his father's sheep. What was David? 
David was a shepherd that became a king. What a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the good shepherd that gave his life for the sheep. And he is the king that will reign from the river to the end of the earth. Jesus Christ is foreshadowed in Benjamin, sorrow, and glory. Jesus Christ is foreshadowed in Boaz, the kinsman redeemer that came to purchase us from the slave market of sin. And Jesus Christ is pictured in David as that shepherd that became a king. And so the, the location of Bethlehem was well-suited for the Lord Jesus coming into the world. So if you go to Luke chapter 1, you're going to read this verse in verse 37. And I think it's an amazing verse because it really depicts what Bethlehem is all about. Mary is completely dumbfounded, and she says, With God, nothing shall be impossible. Okay, think about that. The incarnation proves that what was seemingly impossible is possible with God. And so I'm going to make this very strong fact. I'm going to make this statement that uh, a lot of people would argue, but I'm going to back it up from the scripture. Here's the statement. Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He is God Almighty that came into the world to save you and I from our sins. So here's the challenge. If he is really God, if he is really God in the flesh, if he is the Christ, if he is the Messiah, you would expect four things from him. You would expect that he would perform the impossible. Did he do that? He certainly did. We're going to look as we go through these series how Jesus walked on water. Ever tried that? Doesn't work. Jesus goes to a man who is dead four days, and he says, Lazarus, come forth. He that was dead came forth. Jesus was born of a virgin. I love saying that when I'm out on the street preaching the gospel. People would say, that's impossible. How could a person be born of a virgin? It's physically not possible. And you would be right in saying that, unless you're God. Because with God, the impossible happened at Bethlehem. And so I say to you, the first test is if he's really God, he's going to perform the impossible. He's going to open the eyes of a man who was born blind. He's going to say to a man who's paralyzed for 38 years on a mat, get up and walk. And he's going to walk. If he's God, he's going to perform the impossible. If he's God, he's going to fulfill the prophetic. Let's put that to the test. Did Jesus fulfill the prophetic scriptures? I say unto you, yes, he did. And I can quote you many, many scriptures that were quoted in prophecy that no one else but Jesus Christ was able to fulfill. If he is God... He's going to display the essence of God. In his very character, he's going to show you that he's God. He's never going to sin. We're going to see that. He's never going to be tempted 
by the worst possible temptation that every other person would fail in. He's going to show perfect love, absolute holiness, true compassion, perfect justice, and mercy, and grace, equally balanced all at the same time. Do you know anybody that's ever been able to do that? Jesus Christ is going to display the essence of God, the character of God. And if he's really God, he's going to unfold the mysteries of the ages. Did he do that? Did, did he unlock things that people had searched for, even angels, for many, many, many years that no one could understand? He did that. He revealed the mysteries of the ages. So today, as I begin this study, I present to you Jesus Christ, the eternal, infinite, holy God Almighty that became a man to come into the world to die for sinners. Let me stop and ask you this. Do you believe in him? Oh. To know him is to have eternal life. I'll share with you a little something that's unscripted. When I was a young man, I struggled. I wanted to believe in him. I didn't know how that I could be absolutely sure that I had eternal life. I didn't know how. And yet, I was raised in the gospel, heard this all my life. One day I read this verse. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13. These things have I written unto you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know, know that you have eternal life by believing in the name of the Son of God. Let me challenge you all today. Do you believe in the Son of God? If you believe in the Son of God as your personal Savior, your sins are forgiven. There's no condemnation. You passed from death unto life. You are a child of the living God. And Jesus Christ will reveal himself to you through the word of God, the scriptures, because that's how he teaches us. And so our story begins in Philippians 2. I love Philippians 2. You guys all know it. I know you do. Philippians 2 and verse 5. Christ Jesus, being equal with God, made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in likeness to man. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God highly exalted him. And in a summary nutshell, that's why Jesus Christ came into the world. He was God. He humbled himself. He became a man. He actually took upon himself the form of a servant, and he went to a cross to die for your sin and mine, that he might redeem us, that he might bring us back to God, that our sins could be forgiven, that you can have eternal life. 
Do you believe in him? You need to believe in him. I plead with everyone today, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because by believing in him, you are saved from your sins. You have peace with God. You have eternal life. And you will never come into judgment. But you are passed from death unto life. All right. The impossible, the prophetic, the essence of God. What was really impossible that happened at Bethlehem? Let me describe this to you. If you read Luke chapter 1, verse 26 to 35, you're going to get the story. And I'm just going to summarize it here for you. So there's this young peasant teenager. She's probably about 17, maybe 18 years old. And she's engaged to this older man called Joseph. Now, in the culture of the Jews at that time, there was what they called a betrothal period. It was, it was a testing period. And during that period of time, before they actually came together and consummated the marriage, there had to be this period of purity, moral purity. And it was called a betrothal period. So this young girl, Mary, young teenager in this poor home, peasants in this despised city of Nazareth, is engaged to this man, Joseph. And one day she's going about her work, and the angel Gabriel appears to her. And he says to her, Mary, you are well favored amongst all women. What? What? You're going to have a child, and the child is going to be the Messiah. What? Now, you imagine Mary. Here she is going about her work, and she's in this tiny little town, and of all the people in planet Earth, God picks Mary. Mary's going to be a chosen vessel. And she says, well, how am I going to have a child? I'm in this betrothal period, and I'm a virgin. I've never been with a man. And Gabriel says, don't worry. The power of the highest will overshadow you. Your conception is going to be miraculous. You're going to be conceived of the Holy Spirit. And Mary's like, how can this happen? It's never happened before. Isn't that just like God? It's never happened before. This can't happen. No, she didn't say that. She said, really? Okay, be it unto me as your words say. And then you read this verse, and it says, that holy thing that shall be born of you will be called the Son of God. And he's going to be great. He's going to reign on the throne of David, and his kingdom will have no end. He will reign forever and ever and ever. And Mary is thinking, that's impossible. And you know what she says in verse 37? She believed God. She said, with God, all things are possible. And so the impossible happened at Bethlehem. Now let me ask you this question. You don't have to call out loud, but just let me ask you this question. Do you believe in the virgin birth? You know what? It is essential. 
because it proves that Jesus Christ is God. Do you know why that's so important? Because we read in the scriptures that the sin nature comes through the seed of the man. There was no sin nature in Jesus Christ because there was no seed of the man to pass on by generation the sinful nature. In other words, Jesus Christ was completely pure. How do I know that? Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says, He is sinless, spotless, undefiled, and separate from sinners. So the virgin birth was the impossible becoming possible, and it proves that Jesus Christ is God. Never happened before, and it will never happen again. It is the way that Jesus Christ came into the world. How about prophetic? Is there any, anything in the Old Testament that said this was going to happen? There is. Actually, many things. Many, many things. But let me tell you one thing. In Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, Israel always looking for a sign. God says, I'll give you a sign. This will be a sign. Messiah will be born of a virgin. Now imagine Isaiah writing this, writing this thinking, okay, born of a virgin. Where did I get that? Has that ever happened before? Should I really write this down? What if it doesn't happen? Okay. 800 years before Jesus Christ came, Isaiah 7 and 14 was written. The Lord himself will give you a sign. And here's the sign. The virgin will conceive and will bear a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. Do you know that there's no other person that was ever called Emmanuel? Emmanuel can only refer to one person. It is the one who God became man. It is God with us. You know what it says in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2? It says, O Bethlehem Ephrata, though thou be little among the, the, the nations of Israel, out of thee shall come forth he that shall be ruler of my people, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. Okay, this is profound in itself because it is saying that the one who is going to be born is the ruler of eternity. He, he's ever the ruler, and he's going to come down to this little town, this hamlet in Judea called Bethlehem. And then it's actually a little bit more specific, Ephrata. Why did I say that? Because there was two Bethlehems in Israel. I'm sure you both, you all knew that. Two, two Bethlehems in Israel. One was just north of Nazareth, and this one is six miles south of Jerusalem. So he's saying, it's going to be Bethlehem, but not just any Bethlehem, this specific Bethlehem. And the one who is born there is the eternal God who is ruled forever and will rule. You look at Micah 5 and 2, that is a profound verse of prophecy. So Jesus had to be born of a virgin. Had to. Or he's not God. He had to be born in Bethlehem. Or he's not God. So what happened? Mary and Joseph are from Nazareth. They got nothing to do with Bethlehem. 
Mary is, is working in Nazareth, and, and she's great with child. God so arranges the circumstances like he does. And he says, Joseph and, and Mary, you're going to Bethlehem for the census because something happened where they had to go to the town of their heritage. So what happens? She's nine months pregnant. They get on a donkey, and they go 60 miles south. And they get to the town of Bethlehem at the very time that Jesus Christ is to be born. What an, a, a marvelous arrangement of circumstances. The impossible happened at Bethlehem. The prophetic happened at Bethlehem. Does Bethlehem have anything to prove that he is the very essence of God? Yes. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21 to verse 23, the angel said to Mary and Joseph, his name will be called Jesus. What does Jesus mean? Jehovah Savior. His name will be called Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Only God could do that. And then in verse 23, it says, his name will also be called Emmanuel. Because he is God with us. The very essence of God. You know, there's, a, there's a, a phrase in the New Testament that's a great phrase. It's called the image of the invisible God. Is that not another paradox? God is invisible, but yet he has an image. The image of the invisible God is not a replica. It is the exact representation of God. And if you look at that word, in the dictionary, in Vine's dictionary, the word image is the exact representation of God. So the invisible God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ, and he is the image of the invisible God. The mysteries of the ages. He came into the world to reveal God to us. His light, his life, his love. John 1 and 4 says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So if you know him, you have life, you have light, and you have love, and that all comes from God. 1 Timothy 1 and verse 16 says, great is the mystery of godliness. What is a mystery? Something that you can't figure out. It's, it's not really well known. There's something obscure about it. Well, God revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. Great is the mystery, the, un the unveiling of God. Because God was manifest in flesh. He is the revealer of the mysteries of the ages. In Galatians 4, it says, When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, under the law, to redeem them that were under the curse of the law. And the mysteries of the ages are revealed to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Okay, so why does all this matter? Why am I going to great lengths to tell you who Jesus Christ is? Why does it matter? Why does it matter to you? And why does it matter to me that Jesus of Nazareth was the almighty God that became a man, conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin, and that he never sinned? Why is that important? Is it really important that he existed before he became human in Bethlehem? It's vitally important. Yes, it is critically important because if all of that is true, 
if he's really God, and if he really became a man, and if he really died on the cross, and if he really rose again, then he has a claim on your life and mine. That is an absolute fact. If he is who he said he is, and if he did what he said he did, and if it's true, he has a claim on your life and mine. Here's what it means. It proves that he is Lord. It proves that he is the Savior of the world. And it proves that he will judge the world in righteousness. So it's vitally important, probably the most important thing in your entire life, that you know the Lord Jesus Christ and that you believe in him. Have you ever sung the song? It's a beautiful song. And I, I know that I, I, I tell you about songs that we don't sing here, so I apologize for that. But I'm just going to quote you the words of this song. He left the splendors of heaven, knowing his destiny. T'was the lonely hill of Golgotha, there to lay down his life for me. You know, if you come to know the Lord Jesus, you will be personally touched with the fact that God knows you that God loves you, and that God did something extraordinary for you individually. Sometimes we sing, we sing it here. Was it for me? You could sing that today. Was it for me, for me alone? The Savior left his glorious throne? The dazzling splendors of the sky, was it for me? He came to die. You know what I gotta tell you? I thank God I can say this. It was for me. Yes, all for me. Oh, love of God, so great, so free. The dazzling splendors of the sky, it was for me. He came to die. Have you discovered that Jesus Christ is God and came into the world to die for you? That is a critically important fact because once you believe in him, you are filled with his fullness. In Hebrews chapter 1, there is a great summary of what I've just talked about. And I'll leave it with you to read for yourself. If you look at Hebrews chapter 1, this is what you're going to find. God has spoken loudly to this world in the person of Jesus Christ, his son. And that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He was the one who is the very fullness of God, the creator, the sustainer of the universe. And he actually came into the world to purge our sin, to cleanse us, to put away the filthiness of our sin, to make us right with God. And he died and he rose again and he ascended up into heaven. And today, right now, he sits at the right hand of God. And for everyone who believes in him, he's your friend, he's your savior, he's your advocate. And he represents you before the Father, and he is in heaven right now, almighty God. Hebrews 2 and 9 says, we see Jesus. No, you can't physically see him with your own eye, but when you read the scriptures, you see Jesus by faith. We see Jesus, who was made lower than angels, that's incarnation for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, 
to taste death for every man. Could I tell you this? Your sins and mine deserve eternal punishment. We're dead in our sins. And Jesus Christ came to taste death for me, for you, to put away our sin, and that everyone who believes in him, we experience the grace of God, something we don't deserve, brought into favor with God. Our sins are forgiven, and we have an eternal relationship with Jesus Christ. This is my prayer for you today. My prayer for everyone here today and everyone who ever listens to this message is that you would come to know him, that you would understand who he is, that you would repent of your sins and surrender your life to God, and that you would believe in him with all your heart and that you would walk with him by faith daily. And if you're a Christian, already believing in Jesus Christ, then my prayer for you is Ephesians 3 and verse 17. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That you be rooted and grounded in love. May be able to comprehend with all the saints the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of God, which passeth all understanding that you might be filled with the fullness of God. Let's pray. Father, we bow together with thanksgiving for the Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you sent your Son into this world to die for us. We know that he is truly God. We also know that he truly became human, lower than angels to die in our stead. Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy. Many of these people here have already believed on him. We thank God for that. Lord, if there's anyone here today that has never personally placed their faith in him, I pray that they would come and by faith believe what God said and trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and know the joy of having eternal life. And so I ask your blessing upon us as we part and thank you for all your goodness this day. In the name of the Lord Jesus, amen.